All right. So good to see everyone this evening. Keep chit-chatter after, please feel free. Um, always a treat for us to get together midweek. Uh, reminder, we got the Band of Brothers RSVP. See, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Um, RSVP, so we get that going. We have the Acts 242 this Sunday, the potluck, which will be good. Um, and prayer, which will be a fun time. And then also reminder to be in prayer. Next week at this time, our beloved Pastor David will be on his way to Tunisia. Dan and Ava are going to be um, starting their travels on Saturday. So please be praying for that. Be praying for travels. Be praying for stomachs. Be praying for the word that goes forth, the pastors to be ready to receive it, and the seeds that are planted. And I encourage you, keep praying after. Uh, keep praying after and keep our sweet Michelle in prayers also. She's headed down to uh, minister to her lovely mother and just travel mercies there and that she gets back and forth smooth and safely. So we're going onwards in the book of Psalms. And as we do that, just that reminder for us, this is that book of prayer and praise. And as we're going onward in the book of Psalms, I keep really being reminded of how vital the discipline of prayer and praise truly is. And just for us to check with yourselves and to really pray and think about what's your private worship life like? What's your private worship life like? What's your private prayer life like? Do you take that time to truly worship the Lord? Do you take that time in your own privacy to worship your King? Worship is obedience. Worship is communion with our Heavenly Father. And when we look at this, the psalm we're going to be in tonight, guess what? It's another psalm of David. And as we do that, I remind us again, it's a chance to see the consistency of one individual, the consistency of pursuing the Lord, following the Lord, prayer, repentance. And he's not perfect. I think we all can agree on that. David's not perfect. But the pursuit and the faith of the Lord that we see, there's many lessons to learn from it that we can try to see and examine what's our consistency like? What's our repentance life like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. And Lord, thank you for the Psalms, Lord. Thank you for a whole book that we get to just see prayers and praise, Heavenly Father. Lord, help us to Examine our own prayer lives, our own life of worship unto you, Lord. How do we sing unto you? How do we worship you? How do we commune with you? Lord, search our hearts, Heavenly Father. Empty us of the things that are in the way of our communion with you. Are in the way with deep intimacy, abiding in our Father. Be with us as we go through this psalm tonight, Heavenly Father. Open our eyes, reveal more depths to your word, Lord, that we can be closer to you, that we can glorify you better, and that we can grow for your name's sake. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, last week we were in Psalm 25, and uh, it was quite the plea within that psalm for deliverance and forgiveness. And with that, we saw that that psalm was filled with various literary elements, um, especially if we think of the Hebrew language in, in its origin with the alliteration, the assonance, there is a lot going on within that psalm. And in that psalm of turmoil for David, we saw his trust and faith in God. The turmoil to trust. 
in that psalm, he recalled his sins. But in recalling those sins and, and saying, don't remember the things from my youthful life, Lord. But it drew him closer to God. It drew him closer to pursuing the Lord more. We looked at how four times within that psalm we saw the word way reminding us to seek God's way. The vital importance to do that, that it's not about our way, it's always his way. And the source to discern that, his word, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We saw lessons last week on waiting on God. And sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we pray, we don't get the answer we want. Sometimes we pray, we get the answer, we move forward, and it doesn't go. And we're the Lord saying, you need to wait. And in that surrender, we saw that David lifted up what? His soul. Emotion, intellect, will, all lifted up to the Lord, the one deliverer, God. There is only one deliverer. And we examined within that, in our pleading to God, we saw how David reminded himself who he is, who God is. Not who he is, David, but who God is. God's character, God's faithfulness. Have we seen David do that before in Psalms? Now that we're 26 in, I think we can agree. Yes, he continually does that. And I ask, and I ask again, do you, in the midst of your pleading, whatever you're going through right now, everyone has different things you're going through. Do you remind yourself in your prayers to the Lord about whatever it is, about who he is? As you're praying, do you say, God, I know that you're in control. God, I know that you're sovereign. God, I know that you're my deliverer. God, I know that your will will be done. God, I know that you're on the throne. God, I know that you reign forever and ever and ever. God, I know that you're Alpha and Omega. Do you do that? Do you do that? Because it, it ministers both ways. Charge check-in. One, how do you wait? Because we saw waiting on the Lord. How do you wait? What does waiting on God look like to you? Did you think about that? Did you think of areas where you may need to shift? Did you invite the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be better with waiting on you? He will he'll answer that prayer might not be the most fun adventure, but he will answer that prayer. But how do you wait? Two, how is your heart in pleading? What's your heart posture? Because we saw in that first verse, he lifts up his soul. Emotion, intellect, will, all of himself up to the Lord. What's your heart posture in prayer? And the third thing from last week, do you have a reverent awe? Do you have a healthy dose of fear of God? Our culture today says you don't have to fear anything. You're strong. You do you, especially if you're in New York. But the reality is, do you have a healthy, reverent awe of God? Now, tonight we're going to go on in Psalm 26. And the title of tonight's message is, What Are Your Eyes? And not eyes, these eyes, but capital I, eyes. What are your eyes? This is a psalm of David, as we see, the exact time not fully known. Some point it to maybe Absalom. Um, others point it to maybe 2 Samuel 4, Ishabeth, when that assassination takes place. But we don't have from the psalm, clearly, this is when it's taking place. But we do have something taking place that we've seen with David before. He's in distress. David needs deliverance. And we're going to see still his confidence, his security, his anchor in God alone. He remains consistent with that. And that consistency, again, we check our own consistency. 
Now, we just finished one trilogy of Psalms, and it's almost like we're entering another trilogy because as we go through 26, 27, and 28, there's something I want you to try to notice in each, which is David's love for God's sanctuary. You'll see it mentioned within each of these Psalms. And that sanctuary, the tabernacle on Mount Zion, that love for that. Now, he didn't get to build it, but remember, he had the plans and God helped him accumulate lots of spoils from the different battles for great wealth to provide for the materials to construct it. And we see his love for God's presence and God's glory. And that's an important thing to meditate on. Psalm 26, where we are tonight, also has an interesting tie to where we were on Sunday in the book of John. Where we were able to hit that idea of the outward and the inward. Because it's not just about the outward. The inward also matters. Which again might be a broken record. You'll get used to it. But I encourage you, really prayerfully meditate and ponder the scripture the Lord's putting in front of you in different seasons of life. He is an intentional God. We know from Hebrews 4 what his word is and what his word does as a double-edged sword. Don't just go through the motions. Really intentionally see the scripture he's putting before you because it will minister and speak to whatever you are navigating in life in this moment. Now, Psalm 26, we're going to see David seeing, and, and from this, he's aware of the people gathering to worship at the sanctuary. He's aware of this, and there are people that we see him calling his enemies because their worship is not sincere. Several of them disobedient. David surrounded in the midst of this, again, surrounded by his enemies. But guess what? He doesn't stay looking around. He looks up. He looks up to the Lord. And it's about his consistency of looking to God. How are you doing with that? How's your consistency in your life looking to God? And as he does that, it's always about faith in God's character, who he is, what God has done, And it's through prayer and song, prayer and praise. A believer can't neglect the word, prayer, or praise. He can't. Now, this is a lament psalm where he is enduring reproach. And we're going to see it open with him asking to seek for the Lord to see his walking upright and not the sinless He's not saying he's sinless. He's not saying he's perfect. He's just saying, Lord, see that in this case and what's going on in this moment of my life, I'm innocent of what's taking place. We're going to see him turn to keeping himself distant from the wickedness that's around him. We're going to see him share his desire with God to stay steadfast. And he seeks to stay steadfast in, by, and through God alone. It's the only way you can stay steadfast, in, by, through, God alone. In this, we're also going to see this psalm end with a powerful declaration of faith, publicly praising and singing. So with this, the title again, What Are Your Eyes? Let's look at the first verse. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord I shall not slip. So he starts this song, Vindicate me, O Lord. We see that O, which I've talked about before, that emotional O, the covenant name, and we see vindicate. The Hebrew there meaning judge. 
And here in the context, saying, declare righteous. Declare me righteous. Because righteousness comes from one alone, God. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of being surrounded, he looks to one alone for goodness, God. Right at the start with that, vindicate me, O Lord, we should be asking ourselves, who or what is my default? Because often if we think about seeking righteousness, seeking to be in good standing, we look to vices oftentimes. We look to people. We look to a procedure, a a process. What can I do? Look to the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord. And then he moves on in this moment to share why. He moves on to share why in this instance he knows I am innocent here. And he says, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I have walked. I have trusted. I shall not slip. Remind ourselves of how the Lord describes David when we look at 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. This is to Solomon. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. He's laying it down with Solomon there. Obedience and faithfulness in the walk. It's not about perfection. God's not demanding in this case, you need to be perfect. But he is saying, you need to walk as your father. You need to walk by faith. The just live by faith. You need to walk seeking to live as I call, seeking to do the things that I tell you to do. And that's what David is confirming here in this verse. For I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. Those are words of a forgiven sinner. Those are words of someone who has known communion with God. And him having that faithfulness, walking in my integrity, I've trusted in the Lord, is what enables him to be able to say, I shall not slip. Because if it's not walking with the Lord, if it's not trusting, and that integrity is only coming from the one he seeks vindication from, the Lord, the slipping is going to happen. If it's on his own, it will happen. But he knows I shall not slip because the person I'm I'm walking with the Lord, I'm trusting in the Lord. How is your walk? What are you walking with? Is your walk holding the Lord's hand? What are you trusting in? Is what you're trusting in something where, you know what? You'll slip because the trust isn't in God alone. And if we think about that, I think with the lovely smartphone devices, here I go again on technology, friends. If we think about these devices we all have, we start to trust at times more in the device, the internet, what I can search, versus trusting in the Lord. Something goes awry, I got to get on Google. And you can Google whatever it is. Why do I have dot, dot, dot? How does one solve dot, dot, dot? Our default should be prayer. And if we're walking with the Lord, if we're holding his hand, guess what? That's going to be the default because you're holding the hand of your Lord. You're following him. You're abiding in him. And you go to him in prayer. And you trust him. You trust his sovereignty. You trust his grace. You trust his mercy. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We looked at this this past weekend, but in tying together with the outward and the inward, we're reminded again of Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You have to walk and trust in one alone. How do you do that? Verse 24. Therefore, therefore, because of what can happen for those who think and on the outside it's fine, but the inside isn't there, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, because if you're doing it, you're a doer of the word, it's embedded within you, you've surrendered to his sovereignty, the Holy Spirit is within you, and now you are abiding and living by his strength, his grace, his mercy. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on what? The rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's about the foundation. It's about the core. And if we think of what we're seeing in the psalm, he starts with vindicate me, O Lord. Then he starts with that walking in integrity, which only comes from the righteousness of God. And he's trusting in the Lord. He's on the rock of salvation. He shall not slip. This is in the midst of distress where he is starting this. We'll see later that he talks about the judgment to come. And it should remind us if we go a little bit further in Matthew to chapter 13 of the parable that we see of the wheat and tares. Verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather them the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And we see that going on where it's outside, but what's going on in the inside? What's the heart? And Jesus explains this further because, again, we'll see in Psalm 26 as we go on, David's aware of judgment to come and he pleads, don't let me have that judgment that they're going to have because there's an enemy and there's good. It's a duality. It exists. That's it. We talked tonight when we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's a spiritual battle. We can't ignore that. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. Now, he gives depth on this in verse 36 of Matthew 13. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And I want to remind us when we see the disciples say that to Jesus, Holy Spirit dwells within you. You read something in scripture that you don't understand. You can then pray. Explain to me what this really understand, what means, Lord. We have that access. Do not forget that. Verse 37. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. 
Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The wise farmer waits for the harvest. The harvest is that judgment to come. The field, the world, the good seed, God's true people, the tares, false believers superficially on the outside. Men, think of Jude that we've studied. All of this, saints, when we look at this, should be a call to pray for the soil of the hearts of this world. Pray for the soil of the hearts of this world that they would receive, that there would be salvation. And for believers, pray that they would realize, we need to pray, vindicate me, O Lord. We want to be able to say, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. And when we look at the reality of judgment to come, wrath to come, everything that will take place, we need to say verse 2 of this psalm, and we need to pray this bold prayer. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. That's a bold prayer to pray that we need to pray. Examine me. Examine me, O Lord. Covenant relationship. Get to the depths of me. Prove me. What I just said, Lord, David is saying, I just said I walk in integrity. I'm trusting you. I'm not going to slip. Prove to me, Lord, is there anywhere in that that I'm wrong? Is there anywhere where I will slip? Try my mind and my heart, my mind, the kidneys, the depth of the being, the inner man and woman. Try from the core of my being every bit of fiber of me. How is your asking God to search you going? This is in the midst of distress, mind you. It's not like this is in the midst of everything's picture perfect. David has no trials. He's like, Lord, everything's good. Search me. In the midst of despair and imminent danger, that's when he says, examine me. I'm trusting in you. Examine me. Refine me more. How are you doing with that? How do we have him search us? Read Psalm 119. We should do that as a memory psalm. Longest chapter in the Bible. <laughs> Some eyes were great on that, that statement. If we look at Psalm 139, we've looked at this before, the prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That needs to be our prayer. I dare say that should be our prayer daily. And how does he search us? We have the whole counsel of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful. Do you remind yourself of that? I think sometimes these verses we know. We know them. I can say them. But do you remind yourself of the power of that? This word of God, living. Word of God, powerful. Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This, the word of God that we hold, pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. When we pray, verse 2 of this psalm, examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my mind and heart, we pray that with our word open, his word open, engaged in it. To have the Lord search us and disconnect that search from the word of God, quite problematic. In our culture, as we push the word of God out more and more, it gets easier. Well, my moral compass, well, I feel like, 
My truth is, no. There's a standard, and it's powerful, and it's living. Open it up and ask him, refine me, search me, get to the depths of my being. Show me what needs to be done, Lord. What shifts need to take place? Then he says in verse 3, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. That's a sweet phrase to think of. The Lord's loving kindness before our eyes. His loving kindness, thinking of his perfection, thinking of the simplicity of the gospel, thinking of his faithfulness, thinking of his grace, thinking of his mercy, thinking of his power, thinking of the depth of the love that our God has for us. That's what he has before his eyes. And I have walked in your truth. So first, we have to also ask ourselves, what do you put before your eyes? And far too often, screens, magazines, newspapers, all these things. When was the last time you just said, I'm just going to take time, and Lord, I just want to think and meditate on your loving kindness. I want to put your loving kindness before my eyes. I want my thought, I want my heart, I want my whole being to focus on that. And then he says, and I have walked in your truth. Think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I have walked, I have trusted, I will not slip. What are your I statements? What are your eyes? What are the I statements that you have? Because we see here, his loving kindness is before and walking in your truth. That's meditating day and night on the word of the Lord. It ties so closely to that first psalm that we studied when we started this book. And then verses four and five, we see he's now going to go on and show the Lord and talk about the separation he puts from the wicked ones. There's a consistency in that. If we think about when we looked at Psalm 1, it's a progression. You walk, you stand, you sit. And when you sit, you're stuck. And what does he say here? I have not sat with adulterous mortals. And he's saying mortals because he knows there's an end for them. There's an end. Nor will I go in with hypocrites. The ones on the outside that look one way, but on the inside, it's not there. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Look at his statements there. I have not, I have hated, nor will I go. What are your statements? What are your have nots? What are your will not goes? What are your hated? And that's a controversial thing because we think of this idea of sin. We should hate sin. (gasps) Yeah doesn't please the Lord. It shouldn't be something that we just look at and I'm going to tolerate it. No. Not going there. That does not glorify my Lord, my Savior. My Savior. That doesn't go with Him. I'm not going there. 
I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with the hypocrites. I have hated the assemblies of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. David in this, these two verses is clear with his affiliations and associations. In this, he makes it clear. Lord, I want to walk upright in you. He's made that clear at the start. And now he's saying, there's things I'm not going to associate with. There's things I'm not going to affiliate with. Well, brothers and sisters, what do you affiliate and associate with? What about you? And when we think about that, we could go so easy to just think, okay, I'm going to look concretely with people, but go beyond people. Your, your browser history, what do you associate and affiliate with? What you watch on TV, what do you associate and affiliate with? The music you listen to, what do you associate and affiliate with? You could say, whoa, we're getting old school here. Are you going to tell us to get rid of all these things? No, I'm going to remind you the Holy Spirit dwells within you. What you watch, you're making the Holy Spirit watch. Where you go, you're bringing the Holy Spirit. I ask again, what do you affiliate and associate with? We have to do that work. Examine me. Is it pleasing unto the Lord? Does it glorify the Lord? Yes or no? Are you a hypocrite? And when we look at this, I can say guilty as charged. There's so much. This was one of those in preparation where it's like, whoa, this is fun. Punch, punch. But it's needed to let the Lord refine us. To let him reveal the areas where we, we need his chiseling. We need his chastening. That we can be what he needs for our eternal purpose. So he goes on now. Verse 6. I will wash my hands in innocence. So I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. I will wash my hands in innocence. When we think of that washing of hands, there's the ceremonial washing, there's the spiritual washing. We can think of Pilate when he has his washing of hands in that moment before the crucifixion. And in this, it's that bit that he's saying, there's a washing that takes place. I will wash, so I will go About your altar, O Lord. I will cleanse myself to worship you. I will cleanse myself to proclaim with my voice thanksgiving unto God. And to share of your wonderful works. How do we as believers wash ourselves? The blood of Christ washes us. Prayerful repentance washes us. Repentance shouldn't be something of convenience. Repentance should be a lifestyle. That at all times, when something comes that I need to go before the Lord or I take that misstep, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Father. Continually cleansing ourselves. How do we also cleanse ourselves? We see in Ephesians the washing of the water by what? The Word of God. What's your communion with the Word of God? His Word, His Spirit, His way. I say it all the time. What's your communion with the Word of God? Do you wash and cleanse yourself before you enter into his house to fellowship with your brothers and sisters? Do you wash and cleanse yourself to worship and praise him? What would it look like if the body of believers truly took time to go before the Lord in repentance, to commune in his word, and then gather in his house altogether? What would that look like? To truly seek, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me, Lord, so that I can come before your, your people and with your people and we can give thanksgiving to who you are. And then he says, and tell of all your wonderful works. 
David here seeks to give thanksgiving. David seeks to testify. And notice it's not about himself. He's not saying that I can give thanksgiving and tell of how good I am in Jesus. No. Tell of all your wondrous works. Tell of all you have done, Lord. Do you give thanksgiving to the Lord? Do you testify of all he's done and all that he's doing? Oftentimes when we gather together, it's usually the things that we have to complain about we bring to the forefront. And it's not bad. We're brothers and sisters. We got to share with each other. But often when people get together, a topic can come up. Oh my God, let me tell you what I think about that. And we all get our voice on. What would it look like if we get together and give thanksgiving to our Lord? And we testify of the marvelous works the Lord has done. Raise your hand if in the last week you can think of something that you would give thanksgiving to the Lord for. We all have something to give thanksgiving for, to remember of his marvelous works. Then we see verse 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. This is where we get now to the heart of this psalm. That thanksgiving, that testifying of it, leads to what David loves, the presence of God and his glory. The presence of God and his glory. Psalm 43, verse 4, another psalm where we see of David describing this, and I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O my God. Another place where we see David, we get a picture of his heart of worship. Because think of it, we're following this guy's life, we're seeing prayer and praise. We got to look at 2 Samuel 6. We got to see how he worships. 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom, and all things belong to him because, the ark of God, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord, here we go, had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, and that's covering in the front, covering in the back, tied So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. This is a glorious procession and he's dancing. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when he had finished offering the burnt offerings, which would represent the consecration, and the peace offerings representing the fellowship, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, 
It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler of the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will even more, I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, the wife didn't like this. This is not dignified for the king of Israel to be doing this. This is not becoming of the king. What are you doing? And it could be focusing on the uncovering. You weren't dressed in the dignified way. You're not carrying yourself in that. And what does he say? I did it for God, not you, not anyone else. He did it for God. Why do we worship? Why do we sing songs here on a Saturday morning? Service starts at 10, not three songs in, four songs in. If I told you there was a lotto, we'd all be here right at 10. We start because we're worshiping the God of creation. We sing to him. We sing for him. That's why we worship. And then he goes on further, dance and worship, humility. It's about the humility because it's not about others. He wasn't doing it to get the praise of people. He wasn't doing it to be a distraction. It's another piece of worship because I think sometimes when we come in corporate worship, it's not about how loud can I sing so that everybody in the room can hear me? How much can I show I'm a better worshiper than you? No, it's about you and the Lord. It's one of the things I know I've talked about it time to time. Oh, is it a blessing to do this worship team with this body of believers? Because I really do think the Lord has blessed us at Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, where we get to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like when we're all singing to the Lord. Because it's this flood of sound coming this way, and then we're singing, and it's just going straight up to our King. And we do it for Him. Because it's for Him. It's all about Him. And in the midst of that, that's where we then see, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Because for David, worship is all about God's presence and glory. That's what that's all about for him. That's why he wants to get into that sanctuary. He wants to, as he said before, tell of the marvelous, wonderful things that you've done. Because that's what he wants to see. That's what he wants to do. May we be praying that this church always is focused on his presence and his glory. When we gather as a body of believers, it's about his presence and his glory. This Sunday when we gather to pray, his presence and his glory. Then we now go on verse 9 and 10. So he finishes this and now he goes to remind again, Lord, I got to plead though because the wickedness still surrounds. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. He prays to stay apart, prays to avoid the judgment that's going to come of those who are not truly God's true people. He says, I don't want anything to do with that. Keep me away from that. Keep me apart from that. And whose right hand is full of bribes because they're conniving. They're doing these things. And we could read bribes and think, okay, well, that doesn't, I'm not in any political bribe thing. Let me ask you this. Do you sin? Sin is a bribe. Because you do it, you get a reward. Temporary fulfillment, appreciation, validation, whatever that urge is that's tantalizing for that moment, that's a bribe. We too need to be mindful of that. Are there any bribes 
in your life? Are there any areas in life where there's that compromise? Because rather than focusing God alone, I'm focusing on that momentary fulfillment, that momentary joy, that momentary raging frustration. You cut me off again. Whatever. Whatever it is that we have. And he gives the key on how to move forward from that. Verse 11, but as for me, and that's a phrase we as believers in the Lord have to make habitual when we look at our culture. But as for me, I'm a bondservant of the Lord God, Jesus Christ. But as for me, I serve Jesus. But as for me, David says, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. The key for David isn't his own strength. He gave us a clue. Where does his integrity come from? The righteousness of the Lord. He starts there at the very beginning. And he's saying, God's redemption, God's mercy. I need those, Lord. Redeem me, be merciful to me. Redeem me, be merciful to me. For when the Lord does that, he can now say, verse 12, my foot stands in an even place and the congregations, I will bless the David gets the key to walk upright. God alone. In, by, through, God alone. He can then do that. Because it's God's redemption. It's God's mercy because we're guilty. But his mercy, his tender mercy upon us. That he can then stand in an even place. And in the congregations, what does he get focused on again? I will bless the Lord. I will praise. I will worship. In the midst of all the enemies going on, I will worship. I will praise. Worship is a weapon. I've said that before, but it truly is. Reminds us who it is, directs it to him. This psalm starts with God's vindication, God's imputed righteousness. Walk into integrity because he's trusting God. Faith. He won't slip because God is in control. How does the psalm end? Walking with God. God's redemption, God's mercy, then what? His feet are on an even place, rock of salvation, and then it's worship and praise. In the middle, separation from the wicked, not walking, standing, or sitting with them, not any bribery, nothing, because I'm cleansed. How are we cleansed? Christ alone. In Christ alone. Notice the psalm starts and ends, as they often do, With God's sovereignty, God's strength, his power, his faith, his grace, his mercy. I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with, nor will I go. I hated. I will wash my hands. I will go about your altar that I may proclaim. I have loved. I will walk. I will bless the Lord. Charge. One. What are your I statements? For the Lord, our God. Because that's what he has. This, this prayer, this song of praise. I just went through all of the I statements that he has. I've walked. I've trusted. I will not go here. I have not gone there. I have loved. What are your I statements towards the Lord, our God? Two, how's your private worship life? How is your private worship life? 
Because we know here, let's be real, when we come together, we're in his presence. And the glory of God is so apparent in this, the time that we worship. How about your private worship time? Do you seek in your own time, in your own home, in your own fellowship time with your Father, the Lord, his presence and his glory? Do you truly seek that? How do you prepare yourself for corporate worship? How do you prepare your heart? How do you cleanse your hands? And three, are there any bribes in your life in the way of deeper communion with God? Are there any bribes in your life in the way of deeper communion with God? What are your I statements? How's your private worship life? Are there any bribes in your way of deeper communion? Because that bribe is a bridge to reward. And we're not about the temporal rewards. Because we have a precious crown of life. That is what we run the race for. We're running the race. But the only way to run the race is to walk in the Spirit. We're running. We know. We're running a race to endurance. But the Lord in Galatians, what does he call us to do? Walk in the Spirit. Because while we're running, that walk in the Spirit, it's surrender. It's acknowledging his sovereignty. It's trusting. It's hating the things that do not please him. It's saying, your will be done. It's saying, but as for me, I walk, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place in the congregations. I will bless the Lord. For it's one deliverer and it's communion with him in the presence of the enemies. We saw that in Psalm 23. And we see that here again. He doesn't just poof, they're all gone. It's the endurance, it's the strength, it's the ability because you know who's in control and you're holding his hand. And if you're holding his hand, you're on the rock of salvation. You will not slip. You are on an even place. No matter what comes, you will not slip. And the reward then doesn't come on instant gratification, which our culture is so much about. It becomes on the eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that we have dwelling within us to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to comfort us. Thank you for your word, Lord, which is a lamp and light. Father, search us. Help us, Lord, to build our I statements towards you, our Heavenly Father. That, Lord, we would say, I will serve you all the days of my life. I will crucify myself daily. Lord, help us to be a people who seek your presence and your glory. Help us to worship you with humility, Lord, but without shame. To lift our voices to you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that we are redeemed. Lord, we pray for those who are not and don't know you that they come to salvation. And Lord, we pray for your mercy upon us each day, Lord. For without you, we can do nothing. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.